0: Um, yes, yeah, so I got back from Bulgaria at one o'clock this morning, and I um, had a fantastic time. Um, God did some uh, brilliant stuff. Uh, I, don't want it, I don't want it to be too long. I'll send an email out during the week, but just some highlights. Really, um, I met with uh, a ch- well two churches in Plovdiv, which is like Bulgaria's second city. First church has been there for quite a long time uh connection came through uh jules uh, their par- Their parents were jules 's youth leaders. Is that the way it worked or were they your youth right His parents uh, yeah it 's too complicated anyway they, they came through that and um, they're doing they fantastic stuff they they 're working with uh um the gypsy community the gypsy community in uh Bulgaria is about 10% of the population, so there's about 800,000 gypsies there and they, they're all in like favelas, it's horrible the, the way they live, around the main cities and they're treated as an underclass, so they don't have access to the same things as, as, as non-gypsies. So they're working with them and they're working towards um, uh, establishing like a community centre where they can deal with a lot of the problems that come out of that community. Uh, with addiction, alcoholism, uh, depression, uh, all those sort of things. Uh, So that was great, and I I was able to to encourage them and, and, like, cheer them along and really find out what they're doing. But the the exciting bit was that um, I also went to visit a a church that's... uh, Well, it's starting up, it's a Partners in Harvest Church in that same city, And basically, uh, a family have come from Ukraine uh, to minister to Russian speakers who had to flee from Ukraine when the Crimea was annexed by Russia. And uh, they're they're just lovely people. So I I got to go to one of their house group meetings and to to meet all the people that they're starting with. Um, And it it was great to do that um, and to eat with them and share with them. And then I came back to Sofia, which is where we're planting a church and uh, it's doing absolutely fantastic. I'm going to send you some uh, pictures around from what it looked like when I first went at the end of October and and where they've got to now. But what we did is we did a... a, We're focusing on training them so that they can do the works of ministry and reaching other people and taking the kingdom of God. And uh, one of the things that I said to them is it's really helpful if you have... uh, if you're able to have worship, because when we started, we, we started Faith Life like this, by the way, they were worshipped to CD. Uh, we had Michael W. Smith when we started all those years ago, and uh, they, they've got Matt Redman out there. And I said, well, it, you know, it makes a big difference because it enables you to follow what God's doing in worship if you've got somebody who can lead worship. And I've been talking to Philip about that over the, the last couple of months. And we were looking at ways that maybe we would be able to fund that and, and help them to do that on, by getting a part-time worship leader. And uh, anyway, I got a phone call, uh, well, just before I went out to Bulgaria, and he said, you know, you, it's absolutely amazing what God has done. And he said, you know, you, you said about this worship leader. Um, so I rang uh, a, a guy that I know from years ago. Now, this, this guy, I, I've never heard of him. But he's the most famous worship leader in Eastern Europe. He's called Sasha Malevdev. And he uh, was the worship leader for a church called New Generation, which was an enormous church in Eastern Europe. Uh, and eventually, it kind of split, but then it became a Hillsong church. And he, he's been a worship leader. And he's, re- he's like recorded like 20 albums. So the songs that we sing here, he writes all the so- a lot of the songs that they sing there. And... Uh, so Philip rang him up and said, do you know anybody who'll come along as a worship leader? And uh, so th- they talked about it. And then he, this guy didn't answer. And, and Philip, Philip's quite persistent, so Philip rang him again, didn't get an answer. So he rang him again, and the third time he got through to him, and he said, um, I said, he said have, you, have you thought of anybody? He said, well, no, I haven't thought about anybody, but actually we've been praying about it. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to come and help you start. So I'm going to come to you for three months and help you start and not get paid for doing it. So it was just amazing. So last night I found myself in, 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 a, in a worship meeting in, in a really intimate setting led by these guys. And even though I couldn't understand a word they were singing, it was absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I'll just give you a couple of highlights of uh, the... the because we were training to, for healing, but obviously when you're training for healing, you, you have to demonstrate it a bit. Um, I think the, the, the real exciting ones for me, because there, there was a lot. I mean, there was a really high percentage of people got healed there and then on the spot. Although one of the teachings I was talking about was what you do when you haven't seen what you're looking for yet. Um, despite that, a lot of it happens straight away. And there is uh, one of the older chaps that we've started uh, the church with, so he was there on the first night. Uh, In fact, we met in his home the first time I went out. Um, Last week, he had a stroke and he lost the use of one side of his face and and, uh, a bit of feeling in his arm. And so he came to uh, the meeting that we were doing and uh, we prayed for him and he got, Total use back of feeling, total feeling back in his arm. But his face, which had previously been paralysed, returned back to normal just right there and then. It was like, oh, my goodness. What, what, like, you know, sometimes things take you by step. Even though you're meant to be in faith and, and you're expecting to see it, sometimes you go, oh, my goodness, didn't think that was coming. <laughs> um, there was a, there's another guy. You remember we showed a video last week and Philip said that they'd had one guy come in off the street last week. And he, he came again, so he came to the trading thing. He's been living uh, out on the streets. He, he's, he's a gypsy. He's been living on the streets in, in Sofia, uh, I think for about nine years. And in that time, because he sleeps on the street, his back has got totally destroyed. It, 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 like, it was just a mess. It was like all twisted, and he was in pain, and, and so on. And he came, and he, and he asked for pay And this, this was just... I, Again, I've not seen this one like before. So we were praying for him, and I said, well, can you feel anything? And, of course, everything's a delayed reaction because you have to translate into their language and back. And he said, oh, feel heat. So whenever anybody feels anything, one of the things I was training them was, that's good. Like, feel heat, it's good. You feel cold, it's good. Feel tingling, it's good. Feel electric, it's good. Feel better, it's even better, <laughs> you know. And uh, I said, oh, right, that's great. That's, that's God. And so I, he said, right, I said, I'll just, we're just going to sort this. Are you feeling any better? He said, well, I do feel a little bit more mobile. And he said, all right, we're going to make sure, we're going to do this. So I put my hand on his back, and this was the weirdest thing. It was like his spine went pop, 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 pop. And it was just like, and all of a sudden, all this pain, everything, his body ca- like completely untwisted. It was just like, oh, Right. <laughs> And then, because other people saw this, they started getting healed. Because go, he can get healed, I can get healed. And so, I'll send you some of the stories out. But they, they were like the two that I like. I liked it was this. It was this popping sound that did it. And it's like pop, 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 and it's like great. Anyway, that's what happened. Um, and I got back at one o'clock this morning, so I'm probably delirious now. Um, no, I'm not that delirious. Okay. Um, Well, if this is your first time, you've come on a good morning, because I'm going to talk about food. Yeah? Yeah, That didn't sound very excited for food, did it? I'm going to talk about food. Okay, as you know, we're doing this series called Surprise the World. And the point of this is that church, as Jesus designed it, wasn't about uh, an organisation that met on a Sunday morning and did a few organised activities. Church was about people who made a difference 110 hours a week when they're not asleep and not at church. And churches, a, a, a part of our function, or a large part of our function, is to be training centers, to train people to do the works of ministry. And so we've been looking at this series, Surprise the World, and one of the things that God's been talking to us about and showing us is if, you're gonna, if we're going to make a difference in this city and in this neighborhood and in in the area around us, it needs to start with us as individuals. The kingdom works at a cellular level, not an organization or organism level. It works at a cellular level. It works through each individual. And so what we're about, and, and God gave us this phrase, an army of ordinary believers sent to announce and demonstrate the kingdom of God. So that's where that's where we're going. That's what we're about. That's who who God identified us as us. That's what He calls the church. And uh, what I've said so far is that one of the things so I'll, I'm giving you a little pacey. So if you if you're new, you can catch up now. Then you can fall asleep till the food comes. Um, but this what is what's really important is if we're going to live this out in our day to day, this needs to become a lifestyle for us. And so we need to form habits that then become automatic. And we looked last week at at the the idea that um, the first habit we need to find, and this was God's strategy right from the beginning, right from Adam, right from Abraham, right with the nation of Israel, was that we are blessed by God to be a blessing to others. So we're blessed to be a blessing. So the first part of the first habit to develop is bless, bless people. And you remember I put out last week the, the idea of uh, we should, to, to identify three people a week we're going to bless, and we looked at all different ways we could do that, uh, one of whom's from church, one of whom's not, and you get the choice on the third one. And I've had some really good testimonies. Even though I was in Bulgaria, people were sending me testimonies, so that's exciting. But what I want to say to you first off is we need to keep doing it. It's not a one-week exercise because we're trying to form a habit. So we need to keep doing that. So there's three people you've got to come up with this week and one in church, one not, and one anybody you like. And to to keep going with that and people will start to realise there's something different. There's something different about you, something different happening. So the first thing is bless. Here's the second one. And this is really good news. You know the gospel's good news? Yeah? Yeah? You don't sound convinced. So the gospel is good news. Yeah. You know, grumpy, grumpy, sort of churchy, theologiany people somehow take the most amazing news on the planet and make it grumpy, miserable, bad news. There is no bad in good. The word gospel means good news. So there's no, there's no bad in that. This is, this is all good news. So the good news today is this. Eating and drinking is part of reaching out to people. Yeah, we like that one, yeah. See, we're going to save the restaurants of England. All those restaurants are shutting down, the kingdom can save them. Because eating and drinking is part of the kingdom. And so the second thing is this, eat. So firstly, bless. Secondly, eat. Uh, That's what I want you to remember. Now, if you remember, I can't remember, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about the Emperor Julian, who was absolutely baffled why Christianity was rising right across the Roman Empire. And his initial strategy was, uh, I can't understand it, but let's imitate it, because we can't have them be nicer to our people than we are to our people. And uh, anyway, Julian, is it developed, he had this pet peeve. And uh, because all the Christians were practicing what he called something surprising. I don't know what they did in Rome, but they, he called this something surprising. And he claimed that they were perverting the empire by their love feasts. That's what he called them. Because remember, he calls Christians atheists because they're not pagans. He was perverting the empire by their love feasts. He wasn't actually sure what they, that meant exactly because what he said was this, and I'll read you it. They have many ways of carrying out these love feasts, and hence they call it by many names, but it involves food. <laughs> That's what they were doing. Now, Pliny, he's another like famous Roman guy. He was... a uh, well, he's a, like a philosopher, and natural historian, and he was also a military commander. And he wrote to the emperor for some advice, and, uh, because he had this problem. It's a slightly different word that he used then, but we would use the word viral. And he wrote to the emperor and said, this, this church is becoming like a virus, like a disease that's spreading. I mean, that's why I've used the word virus, because we translates better. This church is becoming like a virus. And he started calling it the viral church or the disease church. And he said Christians, and this is how it's strange, because he found this bizarre. Christians meet on a fixed day in the early morning to sing responsively to Christ as their God. Later that same day, this is every day, they meet again, they assemble together, they partake food, and it's ordinary, innocent food. You see, the point is this, that it was a central Christian practice of eating and sharing hospitality. Meeting with people, having conversations with them, having relationships with them. And it's a real key to the kingdom. It's a real key to us seeing some changed lives. And it's something we're going to have to do because it's now countercultural to do that. Many people think they have relationships because they have Facebook and Instagram. And it's become counterculture. I've talked to you before about how, how London is now the loneliness capital of the world, and the, the, the epidemic we see in society these days is depression. That's despite there being more people around than ever before, and more connections and ways of connecting with people than ever before. And so, counterculturally, we have to become a people who get used again, or. Uh, up the ante on eating together, eating with others, having coffees with others, having cake with others, meet you know chatting with others. And and that is countercultural now. That's guerrilla warfare for the kingdom. And so the second thing is that the second sort of habit to uh, foster is this: drink coffee or eat with three people a week, at least two of whom aren't believers. You can do that. You can drink coffee with people at work. You can chat to people at work. You're going like, well, oh, I can't do that. I haven't got the time. Well, there's part of the problem. You see, we're not noticing all the people around us we can have conversations with and we can have chats with. And we're not prioritising time. You see, people, I, I, you know, I used to say it when I was at, at Deloitte, when I was doing, like, really long days or working on big transactions, I used to say, I haven't got any time. And somebody walked around to me, he said, you've got exactly the same amount of time as everybody else. It's just how you use it that's the problem. And, and so part of, one of the things that I've discovered, because I've been reading quite a lot about, and trying to understand about this, this idea of loneliness and depression and why it's so epidemic. And one of the things is that we don't have connections with people anymore. So we can be ultra-successful but we're miserable and we're happy and we kind of shrivel up inside and we lose our connections with people, lose our connections with God. So it's actually really healthy for us to do this. So there's this, this kind of like self-centered motive if you want to do it as well. It's really healthy. Just just set aside five, 10 minutes and chat to people. Have a coffee. Make it a regular thing of inviting a couple of people around. You know, I know you can't do it this weather, but have some Barbies in the summer. Invite some people around. It's not, you're not inviting them round to give them a presentation. You're inviting them round to be the friends. That's the step. And that's countercultural. And, they, and we need that in our society. So, here's my question. So, this is a little bit interactive today. How would you complete the sentence, the Son of Man came? The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Good. That's a good answer, Roger. That's, I think, the first one, isn't it, on the list? No, is that the second one? Can't put the other ones up yet then. All right, there's three, three times Jesus says this. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Destroy the works of the enemy. <laughs> Eating and drinking. Okay, put all three up, Nathan. These are the three times it says Jesus came. He didn't come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom to many. He came to seek and save that which was lost. But this is the one I want you to see. He came eating and drinking. And they said to him, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, we all know that that's what they said to Jesus, but the point I'm making is he was doing it so much and in so many different places what they, what they were picking up is this is how he went about things. He actually related to people and he did it deliberately. It wasn't an accident. He did it deliberately. It's part of Jesus' mission strategy. And whenever you do anything good somebody will criticise you. And... and they just do. I put, I put the most, like one of my videos this week, I don't know if any of you have seen it, but there was a comment, I've taken it off now because I think it's a bit confusing. But I put this video up about how, where, because our salvation was done 2,000 years ago, it doesn't go up with, down with circumstances, it doesn't change, it's always constant, etc. And I used the word grace, and somebody put a comment up, basically, I'm the Antichrist which shall come as a relief to all the other people who get identified as the Antichrist on the internet, won't it? Um, but, you know, whatever you do, whether you, when you write, people will still criticise. Because Jesus was right and people still criticise. We don't do things because people approve or criticise. We do them because they're right. And this is a kingdom strategy. And if we're going to see kingdom... Res- How many want to see kingdom results? Not human results, kingdom results. If you want to see kingdom results, you've got to use a kingdom strategy. You can't get kingdom results with a man, human strategy. And, and that's kind of, you know, what we need to understand. And uh, you see, the, the one thing Jesus told his followers to do every time they met wasn't to have a Bible study. He didn't tell them every time they met to pray. He didn't tell them every time they met to sing. Although they're all good things, and we do them when we meet. The one thing he told them to do every time they meet was to eat. Why? Because it's part of his strategy. It's the way the kingdom works. (coughs) So what results? You see, one of the things we we do is we get ourselves discouraged because we don't understand how the kingdom works. And Jesus talks a lot. You know, the reason he talks to his disciples, you know, Partly it was because he liked them and he picked them, so it's good that he talked to them. But the reason he talks to his disciples is he's training them. And he says, this is the way the kingdom works. And he tells them all sorts of parables. And the most famous one, according to Jesus, or the most important one, according to Jesus, is what we call the parable of the sower. Remember the parable of the sower? You know, a man goes out, he scatters seed, he throws it all over the place, and some of it lands on a path. Some of it lands on rocky, dry ground. Some of it lands on a ground that initially looks good, but then thorns and weeds and so on grow up, and some of it actually lands on some good ground and produces a 30, 60, and 100-fold harvest. And Jesus is saying, that's the way the kingdom works. Now, I was thinking about this, and, and you can, like, go all, like, you can miss, really, sometimes what he's saying and the simplicity of what he's saying, because he's trying to encourage the disciples, and he's trying to encourage us. Here's what, here's what he's saying, he's because, because it, just, it really occurred to me, and, and it kind of dropped into my spirit. The man who just goes out and throws seed everywhere, he's a complete idiot, isn't he? I mean, like what sort of a farmer just goes and throws seed everywhere? I mean, does he not know where his paths are, where his background is? Does it, you know? The point is, Jesus is talking about this is the way the kingdom works. And he's saying if you're going to get any results, you've got to scatter seed everywhere. Why? Because you don't know where the good ground is. The Holy Spirit does, you don't. And so from our perspective, we have to scatter seed everywhere. Now some of us have had experiences over the years where we've shared with people about Jesus two or three times, and each time the person's like fallen out with us, not wanting to know anymore, and turned the back on it. What's that? That's the first seed. It's on the path. Jesus is saying, if you're going to share, if you're going to live your life for me, a, a big percentage of people you meet are going to turn the back on you and not want to know. And it's just going to straight over their heads. If they're your first three experiences, part of the po- a big part of the problem we have in the body of Christ is people have had three experiences like that, said, I'm useless at this, and given up. And a lot of you are sat there because I've been there. Here's the thing. Jesus said, no, you've done exactly the right thing I told you to do. You have a success. You just encountered the path or you encountered the, the, the stony ground that looked great for like 10 minutes and then it failed away or you encountered and, and, and you put a lot of your time into somebody and then they just fell away. And he's saying, Guys, you've got to understand that's how the kingdom works from the the side of understanding that you can see it. But here's what he says you only need a few 30, 60, and 100 folds, and there's the kingdom. And that outweighs all the others. So he's saying, talk to everybody. You can't pick in advance. Here's the other thing we're not responsible for the outcome. A lot of us think we're useless because we think it's our problem, the outcome. We're not. The Holy Spirit's responsible for the outcome. We're just responsible for sharing and being a witness to what Christ's done in our life. When I say sharing and being a witness, I don't mean a pre-prepared, horrible gospel presentation that you shove at somebody. I mean sharing just what Jesus has done in your life. What's changed? Why are you not the person you used to be? How he helped you with depression? How he helped you with How he helped you get through a really difficult time in your life. You're just sharing stories. That's what they did. It's it's us that have this mindset that, you know, know, we we just need to, you know, man, this might be my one opportunity. It doesn't work like that. It works like that for an evangelist. But as I said a couple of weeks ago, it doesn't work like that for most people. Because it's more likely to offend people than it is to get them to listen. So, here's the other thing Jesus is saying. Invest your time in the fruitful. This is a hard saying. It's a hard saying because this isn't just about how evangelism works. This is about how the kingdom works. And Jesus is saying, if you plough a lot of time into people and you're not getting any response and they're not doing what you said and they're not moving forward, go somewhere else. Put your time somewhere else. Because we all can waste time on paths or rocky grounds. And, and we kind of get really unproductive. It's slightly... I'm going to come on to it because you're going like, well, what about my family? It's slightly different with your family. I'm going to come on to that. Okay. Now, here's the thing. It's not as bad as it seems from that parable. Because Jesus said... Yeah, I'm going to give you a few hints about where you might find some good soil. And I'm going to give you a few pointers about why you might be get, not getting the results you wanted. Okay? I don't know if you've ever thought of, like, looking at this. So I, I, went, I went through all the, all the Gospels and, said, and looked at it and said, where does Jesus say there's good soil? And then I went through Paul's letters and what, what, what does he say? And where does he say there's bad soil? It's really interesting, because this is where he says there's good soil, and we'll put them all up at once, and if you like, like to write down references, they're all there, so that you can, you can make notes now till your heart's content. But this is kind of, what Jesus is saying is, if you, if you want to narrow it down a bit, these are the sort of people who generally will be a higher proportion of good soil. Bad people. Hmm. Poor people, simple people, ordinary, simple people. Those searching for God in a cult and other religions. The uneducated, the powerless, the insignificant, the discriminated against, and the nobodies. That's where you're more likely to find good soil. Now, I find that just massively challenging. And as you know that Bob and Eileen and Cheryl and I, we, we have the honour and privilege of helping with Irish ministries by serving on their UK board. And the number of times I've heard Roland and Heidi Baker say, the re- one of the biggest things that they... Uh, that God challenged them with and they followed through with is to go to the poorest country on earth and they changed the face of that country in a period of about 20 years um, and just the, 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 the impact of their ministry is amazing. Why? Because they understood that the poorest people on earth you're going to get some good soil and we need to really be challenged by this as individuals and as churches. I'm not just—I'm talking to faith life, I'm talking to churches generally. They need to be challenged by this because Jesus also says there's some places where you can expect not to get that much of a response. Here's the places Jesus says you can expect not to get that much of a response. Intellectuals, people of influence and people of high social status good moral people, wealthy, comfortable, rich. We really need as the the body of Christ in the UK to wake up to this one. Because one of the things that we're thinking is, we think number of people equals fruitfulness. So we do everything we can to keep people. And we change formats. We change messages. We change programs. We shove the Holy Spirit out of his own church. We shut down ministry programs. Why? Because we don't want anybody to leave and we want to attract people to come. And we think that's fruitfulness. And the other thing we do is surprisingly these days, when you look, and, and I've been kind of, since I wrote this, because I, I, God was talking to me this about six months ago, and I, I, wrote, I, I, I kind of went through all this six months ago. And, and I've been looking, like on Facebook and all the rest of it, about what we're actually doing is the body of Christ in the UK. Here's what we're doing. We're focusing on um, intellectual argument. But what we really are doing is we're focusing on very, very expensive um, um, resource-eating conferences about leadership and business and trying to draw the business community into the church. I've got two problems with that. Jesus said that's not likely to produce a good return. But the second thing I have about it, and this is a purely personal thing, is as somebody who, like, advised businesses for 26 years, I have to say most pastors know absolutely nothing about leadership or business outside of a church. And yet we're trying to tell the world that they should come. It's kind of a doomed strategy, but it's also a really expensive strategy. And we don't need to do it because Jesus is telling us, well, these are the good things. This is where you need to look. They might not be where we want to look, but he's saying, if you go to these areas and you throw seed everywhere, you'll get a better return. Because it's got a higher proportion of good soil. It's still got some rocky ground, it's still got some paths, and it's still got lots of weeds and thorns. And when you go to these sort of people, you find weeds and thorns and, ro- and, and messes really quickly. You just do. And then we go, oh, I, don't, I just don't know what to do. So we go back to the ones that we're comfortable with. The... the the, the clever, the rich, the, the, the moral. And Jesus is saying, well, you can, but you're not going to get as much food. Now, here's, here's what I want to clarify. Jesus loves wealthy, intellectual, moral people. Zacchaeus was a very rich man. That's the first thing we find out about Zacchaeus. He was a very rich man. Jesus loved him. Jesus loved Barnabas. Barnabas was an extremely wealthy guy before he went out doing his apostle thing. Jesus loved John Wesley. John Wesley was a wealthy man. Um, John G. Lake had a massive fortune when he found Jesus. There's a guy, Count Zinzendorf. I just had to throw that one because I like saying it, Zinzendorf. (laughs) It's kind of a good name, it's Zinzendorf. Don't you wish you had a name like that? Zinzendorf. I've got a fair, I'm sure I've told you this before, but he's called Boomy. And I thought that's, a, that's the sort of name I'd have if I chose my name Boomy. It's kind of like a man named Boomy. <laughs> I got Mark, because my parents couldn't go longer than four letters, you know. <laughs> um, anyway, Zinzendorf, who started the Moravian prayer movement, was a very wealthy man. So there is fruit there. Um, And it's not that God doesn't love clever people. He does. He loved Paul. Paul was a clever man. Martin Luther, very clever man. C.S. Lewis. John Lennox now. He loves clever people. What Jesus is saying is this. It's not that smart, moral and wealthy people don't come to Christ and bear fruit it's that not as many come. So you'll always get fruit, just not as many. That's what he's saying. Um, So if you think about what we're doing as the body of Christ of the UK at the moment, we're targeting all our limited resources on the areas that aren't very fruitful. Here's my second point, because I have two points this morning. My second point this morning, so the first one was eat and drink. The second one is enjoy your eating and drinking. It's good for you. It builds relationships. The gospel originally spread throughout the known world by relationship. There was no church buildings to put stuff on in. It spread by one-to-one relationship. In a single generation across the entire civilized world. We ought to learn something from that, not just ditch it say it's not relevant now. Watchman Nee said that we are fools if we believe that the principle of the Bible is no longer applicable because of the age we live in. So we need to learn from these methods. They're kingdom methods. Jesus didn't say, this only lasts till 1830, then we'll have to come up with a new plan. He didn't say that. He said, this is how the kingdom works. We need to use kingdom methods to reach for the kingdom. The New Testament has a word to describe relationships. You've probably never seen this word because it gets translated in our Bibles, but it's all over the place. And it's oikos. Another word that I like the sound of oikos. Um, where I come from as a lad, if you were a bit of a layabout, you got called an oik. But it's not the same. An oikos is um. It's the fundamental, natural unit of society, family, friends, neighbours, work colleagues and associates. You, every single person in this room, has an oikos. It's the circle of people who you connect to. And it'll include family, friends, work colleagues, uh, other people you're relating to. Um, In those days, it was slightly different. So you see it when uh, Cornelius... Peter goes to visit Cornelius, and Cornelius is told to gather his oikos together. The, the Bible calls it his house, his household, but it's actually his oikos in the original language. And he gets told to gather it together. So um, I'll, just, I'll read it quickly for you. Um, Acts, so that's in Acts 10. And this is what it says. I've got it here. I'd have been quicker finding it in my Bible, but. On the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was with so the person entering is Peter. Now Cornelius was waiting for him, he called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. And as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And we find out that Cornelius, what he'd done is he got all his house together, he got his slaves together, he's um Other people that kind of um, he's brought in on the act are, where are they? um, He's got family, friends, relatives, slaves and neighbours. That's his oikos. And I think it can look a bit different these days because we have a much more fractured, fragmented society where families can be spread right across the country or even across the world. So we we live differently these days. That doesn't mean the principle's not applicable. We just have a different definition of what that grouping is. The people that we're connected with. Remember I shared to you the story of um, how when we were first looking at outreaching in Royston and I was sat in Costa Coffee and I was praying and going, God, what what are we going to do? What's going to happen here? And I'm thinking, I don't even know where to start. You've told me you're going to connect with with people. You've told me that you're going to find the people and it'll be really obvious who they are. And and I'm, I'm sat there thinking, I don't even know what to say. And then this baby waved at me. And like, little baby, waved at me out of the palm. And I'm going, OK, God, is that you? And I'm thinking, no, it's just a baby. And this baby just goes. And so I started chatting to the lady who was like the, the nanny for the baby. And we got in a conversation. We got about God and Her her friend came in who was really anti-God because she felt God had let her down through some difficult times. And we got talking about the goodness of God. And from there, God has made connection after connection after connection until we're now just about at the starting point to have uh, two separate uh, foundations courses, one in Letchworth and one in Royston. And that's really exciting. And and I, I haven't done any of that. That's God. But what he does is he makes connections but you already have ready-made connections. They're they're all around you. They're not Facebook, they're probably on Facebook as part of your Facebook group, but they're not Facebook. They're, They're real people, not photos, with real lives, not the best bits only. And that's an oikos. And Jesus is saying, that's where you learn. That's where you take these things relationship, eating together, having coffee together, chatting is where you can share about who I am and what I've done in your life. How do I know that? Well, that's Peter, that's Cornelius. Jesus actually said, guys, this is the mission strategy. End of story. According to what Jesus taught his disciples, there is no other mission strategy than this one telling another telling another in small groups of connections. That's how the church became viral. That's how it spread right across China when it's a persecuted church. That's what's happened in South America. That's what's happened in South Korea. That's what's happening right now in Taiwan. It's because they understand the principle of oikos, that... We have households and networks of connections that we reach. And the way we reach them is to eat with them, have coffee with them, and to share with them. I'll I'll tell you why why I believe this is the mission strategy. Not because that's working right now in the world. I believe it's the mission strategy because it's what Jesus told us to do. And if he told us to do it, then that's good enough for me. This is what Jesus said. He sends out his disciples. He sends sends them out twice. He sends them out... 12 and he sends them out as a 72 70. sometimes it gets called 70 but there's actually 72 of them go he says this, whatever house you enter first say peace be to this house if a man of peace is there your peace will rest on him, by the way that word house is oikos if not it will return to you, stay in that oikos, eating and drinking what they give you, for the labour is worthy to do not keep moving from oikos to oikos Don't keep moving from house to house. What can we learn about that? Here's what we can learn. If we're going to be effective, when we find somebody who responds, we stay. We meet them again. We deliberately follow through. We deliberately invite them for dinner. Or we deliberately say, do you want a pizza or a burger? Or should we go to Costa Coffee? Or whatever. And we keep going. And what's the hallmark? As long as they keep responding, you keep going. And Jesus said, don't move on. Why? Because you've just discovered a new network of connections. And Jesus wants to get to all that network. So you don't move. God's intentionally placed us in those icoses. Oh, here's, I, I'm, g- I'm going to finish with just like three point. well, three pointers, and then we'll uh, continue uh, next week. Well, week after next, actually. Here's some pointers. Because what I'm trying to get to understand is what God showed me when I was looking at all this over the past 18 months. The way the kingdom works is it's a contagion. It's, it's a virus, like it was, and it's caught. It's caught. And that means a few things that Jesus is talking about here. Why is it caught? Because it's spirit. It's not strategy. It's spirit. Here's some things that, that are really important to Jesus. Time. You might be able to deliver the gospel in one minute in a lift. I've been taught to do that. I've never seen it produce fruit ever in my life. Because a virus takes time to establish itself. And that's what Jesus is saying. One reason our evangelism isn't as effective as it might be, one reason our sharing isn't as effective as it might be, is we are more focused on conveying a rational presentation. Than we are on creating relational compassion and friendship. People know a setup, they can smell it a mile off. What's the contagion? You. The contagion takes effect <coughs> when a changed life encounters a future host. Changed lives change lives. If we're miserable, grumpy, and don't do anything, any of this, it won't affect anybody. I'll tell you that right now. If If we don't make this habit, if we don't make this part of our lifestyles, it won't affect anybody. And then in about two years time, we'll just talk about it all again. That's not the point, the point is to change this place. Changed lives, according to Jesus, are best seen, experienced, and caught in the context of hospitality and friendship. That's how it works. And then we need to do something else. We don't do a pre-prepared presentation That is panic in case somebody gets knocked over by a bus the following day. Because we've all had that pressure on us as well. Here's what we do. We come back in two weeks' time and I tell you. Because it's the next letter. So you've got bless. You've got eat. How are you going to be just the most contagious person around? People now need to see the Holy Spirit. And next time, I'm going to talk about how they see the Holy Spirit. Mike, can you bring the worship team back up? You see, the disciples had done some amazing things with Jesus. More amazing than I've managed to do so far. And I guess most of us. Uh, I've never encountered a leper, so I've never cleansed a leper. Um, they healed the sick. They cast out demons. And they raised the dead. And they did all that for a couple of years. And they followed Jesus around, and they're with Jesus every single day for three years. And then they see him crucified in the scarper. And then they see him resurrected and they go, oh, he was who he said he was. He's God. And they realize that this is where life is. And they've seen all these things. And Jesus says to them, you haven't got what you need. You've raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, healed the sick. You've been my witnesses, all the rest of it. And he says, you still haven't got what you need. You can't do this without the Holy Spirit. And we can't do things without the Holy Spirit. We can't do church without the Holy Spirit. We can't do life without the Holy Spirit. And that's why, um, you know, we, we need to take this one step at a time. But we're getting on to the exciting bits next time, which is how the Holy Spirit feeds into this and brings, th- spreads the virus. Amen? So, will virus spread us? Yeah?